This morning we're going to be looking at the beginning of Philippians. I'm going to be preaching through this wonderful letter over the next several months. And uh, now as you turn there in your Bibles to Philippians, I would like to begin this morning by asking the question, how do you think about your brothers and sisters in Christ? What would you say is your attitude towards one another? Would you say that thankfulness, confidence, love and prayer is what characterizes your the thoughts of your heart about those that are sitting in the seats around you? Let's be, uh, begin Paul's letter to the Philippians and look at the first 11 verses. We're going to consider um, Paul's love and concern for the church, how he thinks of them. And we're going to look at four ways that Paul expresses his heart towards the believers in Philippi in this first 11 verses. Uh, before that, we'll look in, in uh, the first two verses also and just look into some of the background of Paul's letter, understand some of the context. Um, and then we'll look in verses 3 to 5 at Paul's thanksgiving. See that Paul was thankful for the believers. They were involved in, in God's work. They were partners in the gospel. We see in verses 6 to 8, Paul's confidence. And where was his confidence? Was it in himself? Was it in how good the church was? No, it, his confidence was because he believed that God would complete his work in their lives. Now, in verses 7 to 8, we see Paul's love. And, and this is a love that he says is not simply his own, but it is the, the love, the affection of Christ. So we're going to look at Paul's um, thankfulness, his confidence, his love. And finally, in verses 9 to 11, Paul's prayer that flows out of his, his love and his thankfulness and his confidence in God. And uh, he prays that the believers would grow in love and knowledge that they would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and bear fruit that is pleasing to God, that God would be glorified in the church. So with that kind of overview in mind, let's uh, dive into the text a little bit and read, uh, I'll read verses 1 and 2. Philippians 1 verse 1 says, uh, Paul and Timothy Servants of Christ Jesus, do all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so just a little bit of background here. Uh, first of all, we learn who wrote the letter. It's written by Paul. And Timothy is also mentioned here. It was kind of a common practice often. There's several letters where others are mentioned in the greeting um, along with Paul. And um, kind of like when maybe I'm writing a letter and I might sign it, 
Matthew and Shanae. Um, Shanae might not, not, wasn't necessarily right there with me writing the letter, but it expresses our connection to one another and that our thoughts, our, we are, um, have the same love and the same uh, thinking. And so Paul, or Timothy here rather, is closely connected to Paul's ministry and, and to this letter. Later on, Paul will, will talk about the possibility of sending Timothy. He couldn't send him at the time, but he, he had a desire to send Timothy to them. And Paul, when he talks about himself and Timothy, describes himself as a bondservant or slave of, of Jesus Christ. When he talks about himself, one of the first things he wants people to know is that he serves Christ, that he belongs to Christ. And and so they did not see themselves as independent, but totally dependent on God. Their mission was the mission of Christ. Their work was the work of proclaiming their Lord and Master Jesus Christ. And so that shapes everything that they will go on to say. So it's written by Paul, and Timothy was right there with him. And it was written to all the saints in Christ Jesus. All those who have been set apart by God for His purpose, not because they're somehow higher or more spiritual than the rest, but rather because Christ is holy. You can't be a saint without being in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews 10, we are told that Christ, by His one offering of Himself, has perfected the saints. It is He who makes us holy. To be called a saint is a reminder to us that through Christ, we've been forgiven. We've been set apart by God to do His will. So it's written to all the saints. And it also mentions the overseers and deacons. Paul's not writing just to the select the leaders, but he recognizes them here in, in a special way as the ones responsible to direct the flock of God. So he writes to the church, the whole church in Philippi. Now Philippi, a little bit of background. Philippi is a, a very Roman city. It was in, but it was in the middle of uh, what is modern day Greece, uh, the province of Macedonia. And so it's, it's uh, really, when you think about, if you read Acts, you read where the, the missionary, where Paul traveled and where they went. This is, you could say, the first uh, European church, if you will, across the ocean, the Mediterranean, from what would be Asia, what we would consider the Middle East, that part of uh, area of Turkey and down to Israel. So it's kind of neat. And uh, through running through Philippi was the main road that connected the eastern provinces, so all those provinces over in Asia, to Rome. 
It was a, a strategic location. It was also a location where it was a very Roman part. Um, it was far, fairly far from Italy, but it was a very Roman city because many Roman soldiers had settled there following a major battle that took place. And this battle um, really elevated Philippi in the eyes of the Roman emperors because it was at this battle that Octavian became the... Uh, he gained the power to become the first emperor of Rome. Augustus Caesar is how we know him today. So it was a favored city by the government in Rome, by the emperors. And uh, so naturally, you know, it would be a great place to begin ministering in Macedonia. And uh, the Lord in uh, his providence directed Paul and Silas to end up there. It wasn't their original plan. In Acts 16, we're told that Paul wanted to go to the province or the place of Bithynia. But the Lord had some other plans. And so instead, um, they went to Troas, which is on the, uh, it was a seaport on the... Um, eastern side of the Mediterranean. And well, at Troas, Paul received a dream and a man came and said to him, come to Macedonia. So off they went across the sea and, and after traveling inland a little ways, they came to the city of Philippi. You probably can recognize the, the story there in Acts 16 is at Philippi that... Um, a lady named Lydia, she was a, a merchant with uh, fine clothes, and she came to Christ there at the riverbank. And it was there also that Paul and Silas were thrown in prison because Paul had cast out a demon from the slave girl. And then as they were singing and praising God, this earthquake happened, and the jailer was terrified, but... Uh, Paul reassured him, and he was saved. He wanted to know how he could be saved, that he would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And shortly after that, because of the trouble with the authorities, Paul had to leave. But that was the beginning of the gathering of believers at Philippi. And they became a church that stood behind Paul's ministry no matter what happen. Later in some of his letters when he's writing to, to Timothy, Paul talks about how many people have, have left him. But the Philippian church was one that stood by him. At the time of writing, Paul was in prison for the sake of Christ. He'll mention that a couple of times in his letter. And, and a man named Epaphroditus had come from the Philippian church with a gift. So they were still caring for Paul. And we find that in, in chapter 2 and in ver, uh, chapter 4, verse 18. So Paul sends Epaphroditus back with this message. This letter that has become beloved to us for its Christ-centered encouragements and just the attitude of joy and humility that comes out through each verse. It's a wonderful letter. 
In the very first verses, Paul wants them to know that he's thankful for them and the work they're doing, that he is sure God will complete the work he began in them, that he loves them deeply, and that he's praying for them. So we want to look at those four things. I want to read now verses 3 to 5, and we'll consider Paul's thankfulness. Verse 3 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul, he he starts off by saying, you know, he's thankful. He says, I'm thankful every time I remember you. That's encouraging. I mean, there's a lot of people that I, I love, but I, I wonder, do I, am I always thankful for them? Well, Paul, he was very thankful when he remembered the believers. And he goes on and, and says in verse 4 that always he's praying with joy. When he prays for them, he is, he is rejoicing because he sees the work of God in their midst. He rejoices, verse Five tells us because they were partners in the gospel. Now, Philippians weren't a perfect church. They had lots of problems. Paul goes on and he he talks about the need for them to not be so selfish. To put others needs ahead of their own. Chapter two, verses one to four. And he talks about don't grumble and complain. Do not argue. There were different areas that Paul would would talk to them about. But you know what? Paul rejoiced. And he begins with thanksgiving. And he's thankful because they were partnering on the mission of making Christ known. That's what the church is about. You know, this is our purpose. It's not about partnering and... You know, my own interests and desires, the church is to partner in in the gospel, to proclaim Christ and him crucified, raised from the dead, and all that means for us. That's what we're to rejoice in, to be excited about. And Paul was so thankful to God for the work that that uh, God was doing. That uh, they were partnering in the gospel. He rejoiced in that because Jesus was his greatest joy in life. And to see Jesus proclaimed and lifted up by the church in Philippi was something he was thankful for. I wonder if that's what we get excited about. Are we uh, thankful when we see our brothers and sisters partnering in the gospel? Or do sometimes other things um, captivate our attention more? Are we thankful more for things of this earth? Or are we thankful for the opportunity uh, to, to share the gospel with people and to, to uh, see others coming alongside us? It's a pretty wonderful reason to rejoice. And it doesn't mean there's not other things to be thankful for. 
But that's what Paul was thankful for here, that he could see his brothers and sisters uh, proclaiming Christ and partnering in the gospel. See, that's Paul's thankfulness. Now, in, in verse 6, we see Paul's confidence that God will complete the work he has begun. Verse 6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What was Paul so sure about? Paul is confident that God does not leave any work unfinished. That what he has promised, he will do. And he was able to be confident because he knew the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the word of God, the truth that proclaims God's faithfulness to us. You, you might say, or, or maybe you don't, wouldn't say it out loud, but you think it. Well, I get that God, yeah, okay, God, he completes what he begins, okay. But, I mean, how can Paul be so sure that God's at work in, in their lives? How can I be sure God is at work in my life? You know, it's easy. We, we say it as a, that's true, but but this or. Well, Paul continues, I think it's important that we hear his words in verse seven. He says it is right for me to think this way about you all he has a reason. It's right, he says, because I hold you in my heart. So he loves them, but it's not just because of Paul's love. He goes on, he says, I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In other words, what Paul is saying is, you've partaken with me in these things, and you have experienced God's grace enabling you. And and here's how I have seen it. I've seen it in you Partaking in my imprisonment. Well, wait a minute. Uh, They're not in prison with Paul, you know. Well, they weren't. Maybe uh, maybe some of them were. We don't know. But what did they do? They supported him. They stood by him. They didn't distance themselves from their brother and his troubles, but they shared in that. And Paul will later say that they ought to be ready to share in his suffering. And, and he's confident that they will. So they, they've shared in that and they've been uh, seen God's grace. He's seen God's grace at work in how they have shared in his imprisonment. But they didn't just share in that. They shared in the defense and confirmation, the positive proclamation of the gospel. And so they're their conduct, their lives demonstrated that God was at work in them, that that his grace was in their lives to enabling them to live for the gospel. Paul wasn't blindly confident. He saw the evidence of their faith. He, He knew them. He knew them, but even more than that, even more importantly, Paul knew the Lord. He knew his faithfulness, and so he had 
confidence that God would complete that good work that he was seeing God do in the church in Philippi. There's a principle here at work. Namely, that uh, assurance of salvation, confidence of being saved is grounded in living for the Lord, living for Him, and trusting Him and Him alone to complete His work in us. We want to grow in assurance and to know these things with confidence as Paul did, whether that be in your own life or in the lives of others, uh, seeking to love and obey Christ and trusting in Him to work in us is what God calls us to do. Assurance comes from being confident in, in the Lord. And His ability, not as we rely on ourselves. I can't emphasize that enough. Our only hope, the only hope that you can offer anyone, the only hope that I can offer myself, is that God is able to do what He has promised. And that I can trust in His promises and what He has done, what Christ has done on the cross, that not only did He die for my sins, but that He was raised so that I might have life and forgiveness and God's presence, God's grace in our weakness. That is the only thing that we can be confident in. If, you be, if your confidence is in yourself and your works, It's a misplaced confidence. Paul's confidence came from knowing God and seeing God's work in the lives of the, the people at Philippi, the church. And so he was able to say, God will complete what he has begun. William Hendrickson said about this passage, God isn't like a man. We, we men, we conduct experiments. We try things out and like, I hope maybe this will work. <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, just throw some chemicals together or maybe we're trying to figure out how to make a, an operation work more effectively. So we try this one way and we try this another way. Well, God is not like man. He says man conduct experiments, but God carries out his plans. God never does anything by halves. So do we believe that God will complete the work that He has begun? Is that where our hope is? That's where Paul's confidence came from. He was confident in the Lord's ability to complete His work. And I pray that we would follow in His example and trust not in ourselves, but in the work of Christ. Paul was uh, thankful for their partnership in the gospel, seeing their work, the, the work that they had done that was to the glory of God, and he was confident 
that God would complete his work within them. Thirdly, he expressed his deep love for them in verse 8. And I'll read verse 8 now. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Wow, what an amazing verse, you know. Paul doesn't say this in passing. He says, for God is my witness. He makes an oath and calls upon God as a witness. He speaks of yearning, this deep longing for each each one of the believers. He says, for you all. He says all a lot in this text. Deep love, longing for you all with the affection of Christ. The word translated affection there is one of my favorite words in the Bible. In the Gospel, this is a word that's used to describe the compassion that Jesus had on the multitudes. How He cared for them. He had compassion on them when they were out there uh, listening to Him speak and they had no food And so he provided for them. It's just one example of the compassion Jesus had. You know, it's a word that doesn't show up very often. It refers to the source of, of our emotions. You know, most commonly the Bible uses the word heart. And, and, and uh, that's a good word. It, it describes, you know, a love that's not just sort of in passing, but it comes from the heart. Well, this word, splagna, um, it is, uh, has been described as, it, it's very uncommon. And it's, it's described as the most expressive term available. That's the best way to think of it. It was a, it was used as often because it describes like the deepest sorts of feelings that one could have. And Paul is saying, I don't just have a passing love, a little bit of love, but from the deepest part of me, I love you. But he also does says it's not just my love. It says it's the affection of Christ, the affection. This is the love that Christ has for you. Just think about that for a moment. Christ loves us more deeply than we could ever imagine. His affections are set on all who would come to them, to him, even the vilest of sinners. A woman like that Lady who came to wipe Jesus' feet. Jesus loved them. And He has that deep love for all who would come to Him. How can Paul love them with such a great love? How can he have the love of Christ? It's only because he knows Christ's love. Because He's been forgiven. 
He knows the love of Christ. And so it is this love that God has put in his heart that spills out in his earnest desire to to write to his brothers and sisters about some of these things that he's going to go on to say that comes from this the love of Christ. And also it spills out into the prayer that we're going to read in a moment. Paul was thankful. He was confident in the work of God. And he loved them with the love of Christ. And out of that, he prays this prayer. This prayer that comes from the heart. Verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What does Paul pray for out of his deep love? He prays that their love would abound more and more. And not just love, but that along with love, their knowledge and depth of insight, their ability to discern things, what is right and good and true, would increase. Here we see that doctrine and love are intertwine you can't pull them apart i think of of a couple of passages in scripture uh, in the first corinthians 13 paul says love or uh, knowledge without love is just a clanging gong it's like it's not very you know when you're tapping on the the kids banging on the table it just is not a nice it's not making nice music It's a useless thing. But uh, elsewhere in Scripture we read, uh, the one who loves God, the one who loves me will keep my commands. And, And so truth matters. And how we live out our lives for the Lord matters. If there are two things that God wants the believers to have, it is a greater love and a greater understanding of the truth. Is that our our prayer for one another? Is that the thing that we desire to see in one another's lives? This is the prayer, remember, of one who knew the love of God and loved them deeply. They would grow in love and grow in knowledge. And Paul uh, prays these things. He, he always prays with godly goals in mind. So when we look at the, the rest of Paul's prayer, verses 10 and 11, uh, we can see some goals, some purposes for praying that they would grow in love and grow in knowledge. Why? Why? Does that matter? Why is Paul praying that? Well, 
He gives us an immediate purpose, a future purpose, and a, an ultimate purpose. Now, the immediate purpose in verse 10 is so that you may approve what is excellent. So in other words, you have this growing love and growing knowledge that you would be able to know, to discern what is best, what is most excellent, to determine what matters most in a given situation. When we think about growing in love and knowledge, the immediate purpose behind that is so that we would have practical wisdom for life, to choose the best thing, to do what is pleasing to God. As we continue on, we're going to see that is the ultimate goal, that we would be pleasing to God. But first, the future purpose, we see then that Paul prays that we might be pure and blameless. The word pure means to be sincere, uh, not hypocritical, free of selfish motives. I mean, can you imagine that? What a wonderful thing to pray that we would be pure in mind and heart and body and blameless, morally above reproach, not falling into sin, but remaining steadfast. Those are pretty high goals. And, I, you know, I look at my life and I don't know, we're not quite there yet, you know. <laughs> There's a reason Paul's praying for this. Paul is, is concerned about more than just the here and now. I think a lot of our prayers, they, they, they become about, you know, today. And, and, and we're told, not, don't worry about tomorrow, but focus on today. But a lot of it becomes about, you know, what's going on in our lives. And here, Paul looks beyond that. And he prays that the believers would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, that we would be perfect on the day of Christ. That's the goal, that when Christ returns, we'd be presented before God as perfect, not because of our righteousness, but because of what He has done. That we would have persevered and stood the test to stand before God forgiven because of Jesus Christ. Is that something that we pray about for our kids, for our leaders, for the other members of our congregation, do we pray that they would be able to stand before God forgiven because of Christ? They would be able to stand before God pure and blameless? That's a pretty important thing to pray for. And Paul goes on. Talk about our ultimate purpose. The ultimate reason why he's praying. He prays uh, not only that we'd be pure and blameless on the day of judgment, but also that God would be glorified through a fruit that is righteous. That our words, our actions, our thoughts and attitudes of our heart would be pleasing to God. Something that is to His honor and glory. And how does this happen? It's through Jesus Christ. 
always, again, it comes back to the work of Jesus Christ, that we remember that it is through Him that we look to Him. Paul prays that we would bear fruit today that is pleasing to God. There's no higher purpose to live for, no greater thing than you that you could pray for someone than that God would be glorified in their life. That the things they do and say and think and the attitude they have towards life and towards others, towards God, would be pleasing to Him. That was Paul's desire for the church. It would be good for us to to remember these things, to follow Paul's example. In verses 1 to 11 of Philippians chapter 1, we have this amazing example of a godly attitude towards our fellow believers. How should we uh, think about them. Um, what should our attitude be towards one another? Now, here's the challenge. I mean, how are we doing it following the example of Paul? How do we think about one another? Do we have, as Paul will go on to say in chapter 2, the mind of Christ who considered It worthwhile to to obey his father's will, to humble himself, to become a man, to live among us, to die. Do we think ourselves to be above that, to be above the example of Christ? How might we show a greater thankfulness, a greater love for one another. And how might that be reflected in, in what we, by what we think of God? And are we confident in Him and His ability to work in our midst? And do we pray to God for one another that we might grow in love and knowledge? That our, our desire, our goal for one another would be that we would glorify God together. I mean, I think if we're honest, we have to conclude that we can grow in these areas. That's why Paul was writing to the Philippians, you know, that they also might grow in these things and follow in his example as he followed Christ. But here's the encouragement. Paul's heart for the believers in Philippi was, was shaped by God's heart for them. He was thankful because he saw the believers glorifying God. He loved because he knew the love of God. And he was confident because he knew the Lord, that he is faithful, that he is able to complete the good work he has begun. In us. Paul's prayers were shaped 
by God's desires for us. They, they were born of His love for the saints. Is that our love? You know, God's love and faithfulness, an understanding of God's power and His grace, these are the things that can transform a people bent on turning away after their own desires into a people who have an attitude of joy, people who are confident in His ability who love with His love and who pray according to His will, whose desire is that we should please the Lord. As Paul said elsewhere, whether it in at home or away, whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, my desire that I would please the Lord. God is able. Let's remember these things. I'll close in prayer. Lord, so thankful for the work you did in Paul's life to save a man who was zealous for the law. And you showed him your grace and uh, who you are. And uh, Lord, because of that, we have so many encouragements in your word. We thank you for the reminders of Philippians, and then the reminder of the fact that we can be thankful, that we can trust you, that we that we would grow in love and knowledge, Lord. That's our prayer, that we would please you. As I pray, as we go our ways this week that uh, we would remember your heart for us, the affection that you have for us, and your great power. That we would be able to see you at work in our lives and in the lives of others that we know, Lord. That you would be at work in in the hearts of uh, the people in our community who are far from you. And uh, we... Entrust ourselves to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.